everybody. Welcome to Elevating Educators. Today we have a really, really special theme. We are doing Harry Potter. So each one of us represents a house in Harry Potter. Do you want to say hi, Ryan? Hello, everyone. As you can see, Jessica and I both represent the Hufflepuffs. Hufflepuffs. So Hufflepuffs, I'm going to read a little bit about what a Hufflepuff is. A Hufflepuff, um, they this house values hard work, dedication, fair play, patience, and loyalty. Hufflepuffs are known for being just and true, and do what is nice is their motto. So we're going to introduce you to each person on our podcast. They'll share what their house is, and then we will fill viewers in on what that house represents. All right, since we'll just go from the top of my feed, uh, Jamie, why don't you go ahead and go first? Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie, and I am representing Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. And before we go into Ravenclaw and what that means, um, where do you teach? What are your What's your teaching background? Gotcha. Okay. Um, I am in the history and magnet department at Canyon Springs High School. I teach AP Human Geography, AP Comparative Politics, Media and Policy Studies, and U.S. History. I actually run the Harry Potter fan club at Canyon, um, in addition to working with um, co-moderating the Key Club, and I just took over the um, Model UN team. So, uh, this is, I'm finishing up my eighth year um, as a teacher, and my fifth year in um, CCSD. So, um, you said you're Ravenclaw, and I feel like your teaching description kind of just nails what a Ravenclaw is. The house is known for their wisdom, intelligence, creativity, cleverness, and knowledge. Those who value brains over brawn can be found here. Ravenclaws often tend to be quite quirky as well. Do what is wise is the motto they strive to follow. So welcome, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nikki, you're up next. Okay, my name is Nikki Whaling. And do you want my whole educational background stuff too? Sure. So Desert Pines High School. And I've been there pretty much my entire teaching career. I started there four years ago. This is the end of my fourth year teaching. I teach AP Lit, AP Lang, Speech and Debate. And then next year I'll be teaching AP Seminar with all of them. Very cool. And what is your house? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Slytherin. Sometimes I forget. It's not a given. I'm like, you should just know. <laughs> all right. So um, Slytherin's is the house of the cunning, prideful, resourceful, ambitious, intelligent, and determined. Slytherins love to be in charge and crave leadership. Do what is necessary is the motto of the house. So yay, welcome. Thank you. All right, and then last but not least, Vicki. I'm Vicki Cradell. I teach second grade ELA at Lomi G. Heard Magnet School. Um, I've been teaching for 17 years, um, all in K2, and this is my, this will be, I'm just finishing my seventh year in CCSD. Before that, I taught in California. And I am one of the apparently rare Gryffindor, and I brought my line. <laughs> um, Vicki, you are such a Gryffindor. The house of the brave, loyal, courageous, adventurous, daring, and chivalrous. Those who stand up for others are typically Gryffindors. Bravehearted is the most well-known Gryffindor characteristic, and Gryffindors are also known for having a lot of nerve. Very interesting. It's great for all you guys to join us today, and we all know um, we'll probably see quite a few animals, lions, cats, <laughs> birds. Uh, what else we can pop in during this meeting today? We'll see. <laughs> then my lion's over there eating right now. She might be back later. <laughs> so you guys kind of talked about, each of you talked about um, where you teach, your credentials, but focusing on your house and the qualities that I just shared with you about your Harry Potter house, what teaching qualities do you exhibit from being a Ravenclaw, a Gryffindor, a Slytherin? And Ryan, you're going to answer for Hufflepuff. <laughs> so let's have um, we'll work backwards. So Vicki, what type of teaching qualities do you exhibit that are that of a Gryffindor? I don't think I've ever spent a lot of time thinking about 
my house and my teaching. But if I think I'm the person that's in the principal's office begging her to let me try something new. So even though I've been teaching for, I, I graduated 20 years ago, um, I always wanna be innovative. That's really important to me. Um, and for me, doing innovative stuff that no one else is doing takes some courage. Like to, to ask her, let me use my class as a guinea pig. Let me try this. We'll see if it works. And that's a big part of what I do in my classroom. Very good. And I see it outside of the classroom for you as well. Personality attributes too. <laughs> Let's go up who is next. Will we do Nicole or Nikki? Yeah. Okay. Um, I definitely think that doing whatever you take part. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, a, the way that I function the best is by learning all of the rules so that I can learn how to uh, break them by following them. It's kind of like my whole teaching philosophy. And like, I was in a private school for a while too. And so I feel like that's kind of where I got that from. But it's like, I will read all of the rules and the regulations that they have for speech and debate or that they have for the, the AP programs or that they have just for teaching in general. And then I'll always find a way to like function within them, but do what I have to do. Cause like, you know, for teachers, resources aren't always available. We don't always have the funding for things we need. We don't always have access for the things the kids need. And sometimes they need someone who's willing to take a few risks and like advocating for them. And so I think that's where like the cutting comes from is using the rules so that I can break them while covering my tracks and being okay with it or my own moral that values. That's such a good quality. You can see how to go outside of the box. I love that. Yeah. That's good. Jamie. <laughs> um, I guess for me, like the, the creativity part is huge. Um, my room is always an explosion of projects and energy and there's like always something going on. And um, I think with, like with my courses, I want to be like immersive and hands-on. Um, I know like, you know, Ravenclaw should like always be in the library, like reading books and stuff. And I'm like, that's great too. But I want my students to apply their knowledge and the best way they can apply their knowledge is hands-on by learning and doing it and by teaching themselves. And I've never been a teacher who just stands at the front of the room and lectures off of a PowerPoint. I've always been the student, uh, the teacher who's like bouncing around helping students facilitate. And the more that they can do themselves and the more they can take advocacy for their own learning, the earlier, the better, because then I see the students who are engaged in the process because they're seeing the effects of what they're learning in a more direct manner so like my room is like chalkboards and we're outside drawing like city models for human geography and you know that that's so much different than here's a slide here's what like the sub-saharan city african model looks like where you can like stand at my window and look down at the bus lot and you can actually like see it drawn out and things like that so i want the students to like be immersive in their learning and I think that's probably the quality that comes through the most because the Ravenclaws are always like seeking out additional, which is why I think I also enjoy clubs so much because, uh, you know, clubs are in, in addition, right? The, the clubs happen when students want to do more. And I think you know, that, that was always me as, as a student and that's me as a teacher, like get out, explore, try things. If it does not work, then you go back and you try something new. But you know that even if that something was a failure, it don't mark it as a failure, just mark it as a, okay, that didn't work. Now we have plan B, plan C, plan D, however many times we need to get it right. I love that. You are a facilitator of knowledge for sure, Jamie. Love it. And Ryan, how are you representing our these couple clubs? <laughs> oh, hi, kitties. <laughs> Ryan, how are you a teacher as a Hufflepuff? Oh, the idea of just being just and true. I realized trying to be nice sometimes may end up making me turn into a Slytherin. But be nice. Hold on. Hold on. Slytherins can be nice. <laughs> <laughs> We're capable. I mean, they can get along. The Hufflepuff Slytherin co co uh, connection. So. 
Um, but I was going to say just because the kids appreciate it sometimes when I tell them things that they may not want to hear, mm -hmm. but they understand that it's actually trying to like be loyal to them and telling them like things that they need to hear to be successful, like in life and in high school and just trying to make sure that they're going to be okay. That though, and for me personally, being a media teacher for six years, uh, those who have actually like have the Hufflepuff qualities of the hard work and dedication usually end up succeeding and thriving in the program and end up actually like using it as a career, which is what I've been trying to teach them all this time. Do the work, be dedicated to your craft, participate, and you'll actually end up making up end up making a career out of this uh, media class that they're a part of. Right. Do you want to do the next question? I can. Okay. All right. <laughs> we haven't practiced it, so. <laughs> in person, we're much more flowy. Yeah, in person, we're much more flowy. But until we get to see each other full time again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we, we talked about different houses, and we want to know how we know we always divide people up by friends, let them choose, assign partners, and even in development, like when we have professional development, we actually have to like sit by particular people. So if we actually grouped people by the houses, by the trade of the houses, how would that help in everything that we do? So basically we're at, yeah, we're asking you guys, like, how would you use this strategy? What would it look like in your classroom or in professional development to use the Harry Potter sorting? What? Anybody have ideas? Oh, I thought we were waiting to be called on. Just talk. <laughs> okay. I was like, well, let's contain myself then. I actually do <laughs> use it right now. So in the beginning of the year, I sort everybody into houses. I have them take the test. I sort them into houses. Um, they make big posters. They sign their name on the poster. And then that way they all know like who's who. And then um, I give house points so that at the end of every quarter, whoever has the highest house points gets like to vote if they want a cupcake or a cookie or something. And it's my way of giving like extra credit for good behavior, I guess. So if you're helping somebody out, I give your house credit. If you compete as speech and debate and you came and you were prepared, then I give you like house points. But um, I use them throughout all of my classes. So like my period one through period eight, the AP Lit, the AP Lang, and the speech and debate, all the Hufflepuffs are in the Hufflepuff house just like it is in Harry Potter. And then when I put them into groups, I one, there's not a lot of Slytherins. In my 236 kids, I had 12 Slytherins. Mm. And I know. And for what I taught, honestly, because I teach two AP classes and like speech and debate, which is high competitive, I expected to have Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Like I expected that was going to be my outcome. I had an overwhelming number of Hufflepuffs, so many Hufflepuffs. And then I had 12 Slytherin and then Gryffindor and Ravenclaw were pretty like half and half. So when it came to actually making in-class groups, it was a little bit more difficult because I was really short on like Slytherins. Mm. But so then I just tried to mix it and then I would remind them like if you have a Hufflepuff These are some of their talents and it was my way of pointing out to them that Each of you bring together a different talent So if you have a Ravenclaw and you are overwhelmed with how intelligent they are or how they're always the highest test takers And you think okay, they're the smart one. It's about like Smartness in different categories. So there's you're not smarter than each other But that you have different skills that can help each other so when I put them into groups, I would always be like, think about what your benefit is for what you're adding. If you're not the, like, test-taking smart type, then think about, are you the creative type? Then you can add your creativity to it. And it's more like being mindful about who you are and what you can bring to the table, and then, like, honoring the differences in other people. So I did, like, a thing like that. And I think it helped them. Eventually, they stopped making fun of Slytherins. One of my kids did a speech on how not all the Slytherins are bad, so that was entertaining. I have a question, a follow-up question on, so you said that they, you know, they sort themselves and they try to get accrue points each class period. What if there's only one Slytherin in that class period? Do they have okay. a higher chance of accruing points or? The Slytherins never won because there just wasn't enough of us. Like, for example, if I give you 10 house points for being ready to compete at a speech and debate tournament and then you go, there's like 20 Hufflepuffs and one Slytherin mm -hmm. on the team. So I started doing um, 
extra points for 100% participation from a house. Oh, okay. That's and then really in that case, it was like, if the one Slytherin came from period four, you get extra points because 100% showed up. And then the Hufflepuffs were like, that's not fair. I'm like, is it though? I mean, 100% of you could show up, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. ratio-wise. I was thinking you would be like multipliers or something like that. It was such a sh like struggle, that. like my Slytherins. And then, of course, I had the, the pride problem with Slytherins. They were so convinced that they were too smart and did not need to do their assignments. I have so many Slytherins who just slid by with like a D and a C. And I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> You're a broken Slytherin. <laughs> It's <laughs> like, don't you want like 105%? I'm confused. Yeah. But no, it was, so I just, you just kind of find ways. I mean, you start to get to know them. And it's also because like, you're the teacher. So you can find ways to balance it out. Like maybe one day you're giving out points because someone is being, they're looking out for other people more. And then maybe one day you're just giving extra credit because they were the highest test taker. And so that's your motivator. Um, and then for like school pride weeks, if you came in wearing like if it's pajama day and you came in wearing pajamas, I would count everybody with pajamas, give you the 10 points for your pajamas. And if I had 100% participation from a specific house, Slytherins, you'd get extra credit for it. So right. You find a way to wiggle out your numbers. That's awesome. I love that you do that. That's really cool. They love it too. Even the kids who aren't interested in Harry Potter feel like they have a house. Yeah. Does anybody else have ideas for how to, that you would want to utilize this in your room? I've actually done it. Um, so I started reading Harry Potter at the end of the year um, in second grade because I really want them excited about um, chapter books and some of them aren't quite there yet and so it gets them motivated. And uh, I had to read the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for them to understand the context of the houses. It didn't make a lot of sense before I read the book. And it's a little bit harder with second graders to put them in houses because they're not self-aware enough to like take a quiz. Mm -hmm. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. So I have to categorize them, which I'll be honest, sometimes I'm pretty sure I miscategorize them, but <laughs> I do my best. Um, and I did, um, I did have very few Slytherins and not a lot of Ravenclaws the two years that I did it. But I do mix them up and I think it's helpful because I find that um, I see certain traits in the different types of students in, in the group that belong to each house. And so you might have the Gryffindors willing to, hey, let's try this. Like we've even done competitions. I did a catapult making competition with the class and the Gryffindors were the ones out there trying new, new things. But the Slytherins were the really super competitive kids who, who was like, don't stop, don't stop. We're running out of time and like pushing the group. So you have all these different dynamics with it. It works in second grade if you can get them properly categorized. That's the challenge. But um, I found that my kids really identified with the stories because in the Title I schools, um, you have a lot of kids that have gone through a lot of trauma. And the reality is Harry Potter makes you a lot of trauma. And I didn't realize until I read it to my class that so many of my kids who like maybe are foster kids or different situations know that feeling of not having a place. Mm -hmm. So putting them in the groups, like um, Nikki was saying, putting them in the groups, sometimes they just want to belong. They just want to belong somewhere because they don't feel like they belong at their house. And it also gave them hope that in the future, they'll be in a better place. You know, your, your destiny is not set when you're young, you know, it, it can change. And um, I just, it does work with the younger kids too. It just takes, you have to be a little more creative. With it. Right. Would, would you guys um, ever consider using this for professional development? Like sorting staff? I would, I would because anything about Psychology, it's really like it's a psychological test, like understanding who you are. And I think that any aspects, it can also kind of make you more tolerant and understanding of another person, even if it's just to be like, oh, well, you're a Gryffindor, so you would do that. But it kind of provides like, I don't want to say it provides an excuse, but it, it does. And then it helps us like label and address and function when someone is other than we are. Mm -hmm. and then, like, if you need a Gryffindor, then you're like, well, I'm going to go over here and get this Gryffindor then because I need a quality that I know a Gryffindor is going to have. Sure. 
Yeah, I, I've been to a lot of professional developments where um, they'll sort us by, not necessarily Harry Potter houses, but they'll sort us by colors or numbers, and then they mix us all together and make sure there's one of each type in a group. It's kind of similar philosophy. Huh? So you don't get the fun of being like with your other house. You just be like, oh, here, here's the number to sit here and all that. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think it could be used professionally. Um, I'm going to ask Jamie this question because I haven't heard from her yet. <laughs> uh, aside from sorting houses, how else can the magic of Harry Potter be brought into the classroom? I mean, I think the whole idea that it's Harry Potter takes place in an educational setting. Um, and it's kind of ironic because it's like every year starts out fine, it's okay, and then like the end of the year always ends in chaos because like Harry's like always doing something. But it's really indicative of how this year went. It was like we started out fine, and then like Voldemort showed up like early March, and like now we're all <laughs> and we're just all kind of like, okay, like we've got the potion to fix this. Um, <laughs> But I think, you know, that that's like a draw in. Um, and at least for me, like I relate it to a lot of the teams in Harry Potter. And um, the first book came out when I was in third grade. And I can remember, like, I remember, like, I really wanted it. And my mom was like, if you have a good parent teacher conference, you can pick out one book at the book fair. Because like the book fair was like happening in the cafeteria. So she left me in the book fair, which was like a very dangerous thing for her to do. <laughs> and went to like my parent teacher conference. And like this like load of Harry Potter books came in and I like sat next to the box of the books. And I'm like, I know I did all my work, I know I'm good. And so my mom comes in the cafeteria, she's like, Okay, you can pick one book. I'm like, Yes, Harry Potter. Yay! And then like the last one came out my senior year of high school. So like mm -hmm. I literally grew up with Harry and like his gang. Um, and so I always thought that was like really interesting because like now my students when they read it like they're they're reading it in retrospect They can get all seven books at once. They can watch the movies, you know, whatever But I think like as it went on you saw the characters mature and develop and you saw them tackle Real issues even though it was in like a magical setting you saw them tackle real issues and I think like Vicky was saying a lot of those issues are kind of parallel to what a lot of our students go through. Um, you know, like Harry Potter found love and comfort when he was at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. A lot of our kids come to school to be loved and comforted because that wasn't at home. Like they're not necessarily living in a broom closet under the stairs, but they're not, they're not loved until they come to school and they find like their gang and they find like that teacher that's there for them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like all my kids like tease me about being thrown to Harry Potter because I have like the posters and I have like a mouth, like I have a wand in my classroom. And, but at the same time, my kids always know that that's like the safe zone. Right. And when I was growing up and, and even when I was in college and getting my first classroom, I always wanted my room to be like the safe zone for kids. And like they know that's how it is. And so I, I think, you know, I think that's kind of like really important there. And, um, you know, like the themes, like it's not just like you're here to learn a lesson, like here I taught you like this potion or I taught you about the constitution and in regards to actual content. But I also like try and teach students like what their worth and what their value is. So like when they leave and, you know, I'm in high school, so like my kids graduate out, like when they leave and go into the real world, like they know their worth, they know their value, they know their talents and their gifts. And it's more than just, you know, content from my like class curriculum, you know that you as a person stand for something, even if they're still figuring out kind of what it is. And I think Harry Potter does a really good job of doing it. It's a really good coming of age story. And what we're doing is we're raising students as they're coming of age and if we can give them like that little push onto the real world and show them like where their value lies I think that's probably the most important thing that we can do as educators and probably one of the most important things that Harry Potter taught me as you know from 8 to 17 when I was reading this series for the first time. That's a great answer. Does anybody else want to share how they would bring the magic into their classroom? 
think um, one, it makes it a really good show. So I always tell everybody that like I'm an entertainer. That is what I do for a living. They, my only audience is a wall most of the time. About <laughs> like that's just me um, debate life. It really, it really is. And I like I turn up the crazy all the time in my classroom. Like I will pretend hysterics when people don't have their work done because it's entertaining for them and it keeps them paying attention. And so I have um I have a wand in my classroom too, and it isn't a Harry Potter one. I like legit ordered it from Africa. Like it was a custom made wand and then I bring it I bring it to class and I use it as my pointer and then when kids get crazy or they tell me they don't have their work they bring out my wand and I'm like what did you say <laughs> did you say you're not done and just because it's like entertaining for them and it's how I keep their interest but I will always um kind of make jokes with them about what the crew is or we'll have um like warm-ups and stuff where we want to talk about the houses or the magic of it and then um but I really like what you guys were talking about too, about that in the actual story, Harry does find love and comfort at the actual school. And I think that's really, I mean, Harry Potter is so widespread that even if you haven't read it or watched it, you know it. Mm-hmm. So I think that just, just at least for the jokes and like the inside jokes and being a character and being a little bit crazy in the classroom, it's useful that I can be crazy, but on a level that they have at least experienced. Then they're just like, oh, she's just a weird Harry Potter person. And, like, even when when I first ordered them, like, green is my favorite color, and I wear green all the time. And they're like, oh, that's why you like green is because you're a Slytherin. And I'm like, no, it actually just kind of happened that way. <laughs> so, oh, my God, I'm not sure. But it's fun. Like, they will say that about each other. It just builds classroom climate really well. Absolutely. Do any of you have a favorite book, Harry Potter book? I think it's mostly because that's the one I always get to read for the kids and I get so excited when I know like when he discovered that chapter when he discovers his magic and he finds out the truth about himself like the build up to that like right now I'm reading it to my kids in my virtual classroom and and I'm like, oh, you guys just wait. And I had to ask my principal, can I still read to them over summer? Like, I'm not done. And, and some of them won't have the book. And so for me, it's the first book because I, I thought it was so beautifully crafted. And I think the other books are good too, but that's just, it's a special one to me because that's the one I always get to read. That's sweet. You're going to keep going. Sorry, Jessica, but I have, mine is Goblet of Fire, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> It's because of Cedric. It's actually a memory that I have. So it's actually related to working in college when it came out. I was working the night Goblet of Fire got released. So imagine like seeing like at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, people at like, it was the old Kmart on Horizon and Eastern for those back in the day. Mm. And people were lining up like around nine o'clock at night to buy it. And people could not, it would not let them scan, like, legally. It would be like, you can't purchase it. Mm-hmm. What happens, I snuck one behind my drawer, because I worked in the photo booth at the time. Mm-hmm. Made sure I actually got to get one the next day. So I actually took it home to read it, and then fell in love with it that way. That's awesome. <laughs> so oh, Jess and I, and I kind of fell out with it afterwards, but then... Jess and I have a mutual friend and coworker that kind of got yeah. me back into it. So we have a coworker, Alex Kenny, whose entire classroom is Harry Potter to the nines. Um, it's amazing. But my book is also Goblet of Fire because that was the first death that I was emotionally attached to where I started crying in a book. And I started crying because I'd never seen a, um, an author kill off a child because Cedric's a child, essentially. So I started crying while I read it. So that one will always be heartbreaking. And then, of course, every death thereafter, I cry. I cried for Dobby. I cried for um, Albus Dumbledore. I cried Dobby for the broke me. <laughs> Dobby broke me. You know what else broke me? Hedwig. Yes. I was just sobbing, sobbing. <laughs> like yeah. Death doesn't do well in my heart. <laughs> Well, I remember I'm um, reading an interview with J.K. Rowling, and people were so 
angry that she killed off Hedwig. And she's like, well, that was the death of Harry's innocence. <gasps> and, every, and other people are like, well, you know, he saw all these other people die. Like, literally, his parents were murdered in front of him. True. But she's like, but, like, that was Hedwig represented innocence and purity and was Harry's closest and really first companion in the magical world. And because I remember after reading that, like, the seventh book, and you know, like, in all the death, I was just like, how could you do this to me? And, like, and then she was, like, talking about, like, who she thought about killing off and then why she did kill off who she did. And it was just, like, I'm, like, oh, I get it. Like, my heart's still broken, but, like, mm -hmm. I understand. And it was really powerful. And I know sometimes, like, critics are, like, well, it's just it's a child's book, whatever. Like, it's not... I'm like, but like children's literature and like, you know, young adult literature is still really powerful. And that's the mm -hmm. first thing that kids read. And if you want to get early and continual readers, you need to hook them with stuff like that. And yeah, but Hedwig's, Hedwig's death was, was probably, yeah, that and like um, when he, uh, Lupin and Tonks, I like bawled. I was like, no. God. Oh yeah, that was like, hard. Like the, the, the battle, the, the entire battle of Hogwarts was was difficult. Nikki. Is that your favorite book? Um, you know, I'd have to say that I the first one is my favorite too, just because that's what opened the door. And um, I mean, and, and like it, it's it's no secret that like I I've been sick my entire life, and I spent a lot of my childhood really sick. I spent a lot of my adulthood really sick. So for me, Harry Potter was an escape, and so it was a series that. I loved and like I saw myself in and the first book was really the first one that kind of opened up like like that magical like little cupboard um not, you know not to steal from Narnia but um really opened up like that that door into like this big new world where I'm like I wish I was here and and I could imagine myself there and when I imagined myself in the world of Harry Potter I wasn't like the sick kid anymore I was just like mm -hmm. this is like my adventure like I'm tagging along behind like the trio like this is um but I I love the first book um the seventh book broke me but I think the seventh book was a good conclusion to the series um I really enjoyed the fifth book too because the fifth book mm -hmm. was where Harry really um you saw Harry had to tackle real adult issues and mm -hmm. continuous issues and you had to see him deal with like the ministry disbelieving him and people trying to silence him because he's a child. And he's like, but I have things to say and things to share. Um, and I think that's, that's a very relatable struggle mm -hmm. for a lot of people saying like, Oh, well, you know, talk to me when you're older or like when you're older, this will make sense. And he's like, but you know, I don't have to be old to understand things. And I think that was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And you saw him go through a huge growth uh, platform during that book. That was the first book that they really dive into the government, don't they? Because mm -hmm. you always hear about the Ministry of Magic, but you don't actually see it until fifth. Yeah, the fifth book is really where, like that summer between the fourth and the fifth book, you know, the fourth book where, where Cedric dies, and the third book, they love Harry. Fourth book, they're like, no, nah, things are fine, it's fine, it's okay. Uh, and then the fifth book is like government full-on denial, this didn't happen, you're lying he's just a stupid kid type deal so yeah i think it was, that was definitely like you saw this it got darker at that point like and it got more like mature where all of a sudden it wasn't the series i started when i was eight anymore and i was glad i was reading it when i was older because i could understand the underlying themes that were going on all right nikki what's your favorite I almost feel like it's repetitive, but mine is also The Goblet of Fire. <laughs> and it is because suddenly the world was bigger. Like, up until then, I did not exact like, it didn't hit me that there were other schools of witchcraft and wizardry. And then, like, suddenly schools are coming from all over. And then, um, of course, the French school. I am, I'm like, wasn't super femme, but really wanted to be. My mom was like a boxer. And so when I'm reading this and there's just like all these women who walk perfectly and they walk in time together and they're all like witches and have all this magic. I was like, God, these women are glamorous and I want to be one. <laughs> like, where did they come from? And everybody was obsessed with them and thought they were fabulous. And I was like, they definitely are fabulous. But then it's also, that's when you kind of like get the whole idea of the library and how extensive 
the Hogwarts library is, that there's all of these books that you have to be a certain age to read. And my parents didn't have like reading restrictions for me. So I was like, wow, what are these books? These are like super fancy magic books. And then of course, like Hermione finally has her, I think they're finally respecting her <laughs> because they need the research and they need the work. And I'm like, oh, okay. They stopped making fun of her and they actually value her as an intellect for once. And then I was just, it's really the, all of the other schools. I was like, God, it's a whole huge world. And then of course, like when you're a kid and you're hoping for an escape, you're like, there's only one in England and we're I Irish. So we like inherently make fun of English. <laughs> like I didn't want, didn't want England, but as soon as I realized there's a French school, I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. <laughs> France. I literally took French class in high school because of the girls in at the Yule Ball. I couldn't, it was like, they're gorgeous. That's yeah. all I wanted to be. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. All right. So since we all have read Potter, I figure I test the four oh, no. skills. <laughs> so I have a list of 25 questions. We're not obviously going to do all 25. <laughs> okay. Uh, these are divided into easy, medium, hard, and super hard. Okay. Can I Whoever, so we'll just choose five and see which house is the better. Oh. <laughs> oh, Ravenclaw. She <laughs> wins. <laughs> extra hard ones because she's already admitted she's good at trivia. So she's all the hard questions. <laughs> so we'll, we'll start with an easy one. Okay. Um, Harry Potter played five years of Quidditch at Hogwarts. Of these years, how many times did Gryffindor beat Hufflepuff? What? Beat Hufflepuff's That's the easy question? That's a hard okay. one. We they're, all, they're all different orders. Can we just guess a number? Yeah. I'm going to say seven. But he only played for five years. Yeah. Oh, like each, you not every specific game, just... Overall. Like, oh, that's what I was thinking, like where the final came down to Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. Yeah, right. I think the times be Hufflepuff. Could it be more than five, or is it capped at five? No, it's not five. Could okay, it be so he did go back his seventh year, and he got banned from playing in his when um, Bridge was there. So that's two years down. They beat them in the first year. Who were they playing when he got hit by the Whomping Willow? Were they playing Hufflepuff? So I think maybe three. Maybe? No, Nathan was actually closer. Is it four? One. I don't know. I don't know. Just the first year. All right. One for Slytherin. (laughs) (laughs) That was not an easy question. That was a All right. Let's see. Let me see if I can find an easier question. I was told these are easy, though. From the Lutz family, though? I mean, All right, let's see if this one's a little bit easier. Which book is the only one that Voldemort does not appear in? Does not appear in? Yeah. Chamber of um, Secrets? No. No. That one. What's the one with Tom Riddle? Is that considered Voldemort if Tom Riddle shows up? Was it Half-Blood Prince? Voldemort himself never appears. I think six. The sixth book, but I'm also not sure. Ryan shaking his head no. Oh, Order of the Phoenix. First. Order of the Phoenix? No, he appears in the first one in the mirror. He's on the back of Coral's head. So it would be three or six. That's my final answer. Prisoner of Azkaban. Ah, three. Duh, because it's the (laughs) All right. <laughs> I'm sucking at this. <laughs> I need to be like Vicky and just be. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, what does Hermione's parents do for a living? Oh, oh, they're dentists. Dentist. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> all right. Um, alphabet. Oh, this one, my. Uh, okay, this should be an easy one. I was going to go with a hard one, but I decided to go with easy. What teacher is a ghost? Oh, Professor Bin, History of Magic. Yes. Yes. 
He died in the teacher's lounge, got up, started teaching. That's going to be me. I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, I just don't quit. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go be a ghost now. <laughs> here's, a, here's a challenging one. Keep you know your characters. Alphabetically, who is the last person in Harry Potter's class at Hogwarts? It's a stupid question. Why would I know the roster? Oh, Blaze Zabini? Ron Weasley? Not Weasley, but it's Blaze Zabini. Ah, yes! He's a Slytherin. (laughs) I don't know how I knew that. (laughs) All right, we'll do one more. See if I can find one here. What did Dumbledore leave Harry, Ron, and Hermione in his will? Oh, oh, the um, the the three. No, okay. So Ron got the putter outer, and um, Harry had the golden snitch, and Hermione got the tales of Beetle the Bard. Yes. All right, Ravenclaw wins. Like I said, (laughs) (laughs) she won before we started. Because I knew. I was like, I was going to beat her. Harry Potter's <laughs> advisor wins over everyone. I don't mind sharing these because I probably end up using these next year since I'm going back to English for the first time in um, forever. Forever. For the first time in forever. I was about to read a thing. I've taught full time English in about six years, so it's going to be interesting. Hmm. All right, so we normally leave our show. We have three, three questions that we ask everyone. Vicky has done this before because she's been on the show before. Should we have her do it again or just skip a? Well, we, we can have her do it again. Her answers may have changed in a year. Okay. Probably. Right. <laughs> so the first question is, what would your dream school look like? If you could build your own school, what would it look like? Jamie, we'll start with you. <clears throat> my dream school. Um, I guess, you know, my my ultimate dream as an educator was, is actually to um, build a technical school on the Navajo reservation, because uh, that's where I started my teaching career. And um, that's something that definitely is lacking in their community. And um, when I left the Navajo Nation, I ended up in Philadelphia, where I actually worked at a vocational, like, technical school with, like, cosmetology, construction, things like that. Um, And so I saw, like, the effectiveness of it. And students who went there, if they wanted to do a more traditional, um, you know, career, like, go go into college and major in something, they could. But if not, they already had the skills that they could take out into the world or, um, you know, build upon once they graduate high school. So I think like my, my real dream school is like a, a comprehensive and technical school where, where kids have the option and I would want to put it where I came from. I would want to, I would want to put it back on the Navajo nation um, because I saw so many students who had potential, but not the opportunity. And I think it'd be great to give them that opportunity. So that would probably be, my my dream school for for students is to to have that availability open to people. Nikki, what about you? A school built around kinesthetic things, like moving, touching, doing. I hate being inside a classroom, like a lot. I want to be outside, and I want like larger rooms, like auditorium sort of style. But I would love, like, I had read a bunch of stuff in New York, especially for elementary kids, because they're all about action and and movement, where the whole school was designed that every classroom was meant to be like a, like a discovery museum. So you touch things, you learn things, you like move things. And obviously that requires a bunch of storage and a bunch of money. But I would prefer that, that in everything we do, we could get up and do it. Especially because kids don't have enough opportunities to get off of the desk in the first place. Like they're always sitting down, 
they get up from one place and they sit down in another. And that's crazy because we all know it's not okay to sit down that much. And even teachers were told to get up and move and office people get up and move. And yet we expect kids who have more energy than us to sit and stay. And that's silly. And, it's when, and when someone walks in and sees all the kids up and around, it's like you don't have any classroom management. So it's also like a, a service to it, to them. Oh yeah. And my classroom is insane. And I've had um, like instructional coaches or other teachers come in and they look at my room and they're like, Oh, Miss Bailey, we, your room is so chaotic. Like, how do you handle? I'm like, it's not, they're all doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And it looks chaotic, but like, I would much rather this than everybody sitting down bored and staring at me. Yeah. Cause I get the same thing. People look in and be like, what on earth are you doing? And I have kids outside in the hall everywhere. <laughs> yeah. stuff and all right, Vicki, we'll be curious to see if your answer has changed within a year. Well, it would be helpful if I could remember what I answered last time. But, <laughs> so I, I don't remember, but I do, I will tell you that um, I moved to a magnet school this year. And it's my first time working at a magnet. And honestly, I love my school. Like, and what I'd like to see in all schools is this kind of magnet idea where the school picks the focus of the school it uses the passions of the teachers and then you create a vision and a mission and a program that matches your collective like vision and i wish that all schools could do that and one of the things that we do is called voyages and every few weeks all each teacher gets to pick something they just really want to teach kids um painting dancing could be robotics that's cool with coding i did a culinary academy in my classroom i did Longiji heard medical school where um kids first and third got to come in my classroom and we pretended like we were going to medical school and they learned about the human body so we get to pick something we're passionate about and if every school harnessed the passion of the teachers i think that it would lift the culture of the school and when it lifts the culture of the school, it helps everybody, including the students. And so that's, now that I've experienced that, um, I would like to see that at every school. All okay. right. I think you had a different answer last year. Oh, so right. this is <laughs> um, the next question should be pretty short. Uh, what is your most annoying buzzword? in education like your least favorite acronym or buzzword in education so like nev and rigor and oh uh, <laughs> i don't know how that looks like what what should i say you don't say it so jamie it's your turn ah oh. uh, hmm. i think like if we if we narrowed it down like got specific to here uh any ps drives me nuts um just because I, I, like, I know I'm a good teacher and my, my kids like my class and I love what I do. Um, but I feel like, I, I feel like a circus monkey sometimes trying to jump through hoops to prove that I'm good and that I'm effective. Um, and I feel like if someone just came into my room and just like sat for a little bit and like saw me interact and saw me teach and, and didn't base like my entire worth as an educator off of 40 minutes of an evaluation um you know i think and i think a lot of people feel that way um especially when you have someone who doesn't quite know someone who like wasn't in your field before who is like well i don't understand what you're doing so this is not good and it's like well my kids understand because my kids show up every day um so i think i think just things like that um there's there's so many acronyms i feel like i'm speaking alphabet soup some days and I feel like it, it's, it's all more, like, just, it's just more paperwork than is necessary. Um, I wish, like, I could just teach and not have to deal with the bureaucracy. And NEPF is just bureaucracy tied up in, a, in an acronym. What I feel bad about is I'm a school counselor, and we just recently started NEPF, I think, two years ago. But ours is based on ASCA standards, so it's very... It's awesome. It's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. You can hit those marks very easily. But when I was a teacher, 
I can see how it's nearly impossible to get mm-hmm. every single box indicator filled twice if you want a four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wish that there are people in your corner at the state that would revamp it to be more what it's supposed to be about. We're working on that. We're working on that. Yay. Get it, Vicki. Look at you, you little Gryffindor. <laughs> I'm walking across the keyboard, so y'all just met Tango there real quick. <laughs> All right, Nikki, what is your least favorite buzzword? It's really similar to what Jamie had said, but mine is like, I think it, it comes in a pack. It has to be like professional development and CU. And I hate it. I hate the process. I hate the words. I've like, um, I keep submitting them and they keep getting declined for like literally anything and everything and the whole work of all the things. And then every time someone's like, there's any professional, every professional development I take, I'm like, this is useless. And then it disgusts me because then you get stuck in how everything seems corrupt. And then I'm like, anytime someone says anything about professional development, I want to hide under a rock. I can't take it. And because I'm always telling like, I get a raise off of being a student, not off of being a teacher. And I have to pay for professional developments for things that I already paid to go to college for. And I just need to pay to have somebody who never taught before tell me that I'm going to be a good teacher because I've listened to them talk for three hours. And I'm like, this is just disgusting. And I hate it. And if, if I could overthrow anything, and I would overthrow a lot, if I could also <laughs> overthrow one, <laughs> it would be how CUs are determined because professional development is an effing joke and it does not make me more of a profession. My kids, their feedback, their emotions, learning from them. Like, kids teach me so much because, like, I have a bit of an anger problem as well. So when I come across kids who do, it's a lot of me questioning and developing myself to how to be better for them. So being a teacher, running speech and debate, those, to me, are way more of a professional developing than sitting in a class where someone can tell me, literally, I just did one that was a a video and how to speak professionally in a video. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, uh, I teach speech and debate. Did you have to teach me this? <laughs> oh my God. Can I just take a test and be over this, please? Nikki, well, you, should, you should pursue um, national board because that's all it is, is exactly what you said. It's all taking in what the kids are doing and reflecting on it. I actually did do that um, this year and then everything got canceled. And so I took my money. I'm going to get your info from Ryan and I'm going to ask that you join our virtual cohort because it is the best thing ever. Honestly, I need it because the cohort at my school was an effing joke. It was terrible. We can get into oh, that. No. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I'm excited for you. I'll get out that. All right, Vicki. All right, Vicki. After basically 20 years of uh, being in education, I'm going to say all the stupid buzzwords. I mean, mm-hmm. the problem is, like, growth mindset of itself is not a horrible thing. I don't, I don't mind the idea of growth mindset, but when it's constantly beat over our heads, rigor, growth mindset, standardized, all these things, even if it's something that's effective, then it, it's not something we want to work on or do. I just think that the pendulum swings so much in education from one thing, oh, that doesn't work, so let's try this thing way over here, let's go back to what we were doing before. And it's exhausting. As a professional, it's exhausting. And if you think about other professions, respective professions where people go to college like we do, it doesn't happen in those professions. I mean, changes do happen, like they make small changes, but it's not drastic like what we have to do in education. So I just, I think a lot of those buzzwords can be negative if, if they're forced on us constantly. All right, so now the third and final question. Real or fake, who is the most influential teacher in your life? Oh, we should change this one. Okay, what to what? You should say who was the most influential Harry Potter character for this one. Time around, yeah. Since it's a Harry Potter theme. You're right. So who's right. influential Harry Potter character for you? Jamie. 
Oh, okay. See, you know, I and I knew what your questions were. So I was like all ready with like my Mr. Feeny spiel. But um, for Harry Potter, um, I'm going to say Hagrid because he just kind of fell into teaching and he just kind of had to make it up as he went. And um, he was always able to like acknowledge like where his shortcomings were, but he was there for the kids. Like Hagrid, Hagrid would have sacrificed himself for those students, even the ones who didn't respect him. And there were a lot of Hogwarts students who didn't respect him. And I think, um, you know, Hagrid, Hagrid loved those kids and um, he stayed and, and he had every reason to leave and, and he stayed at Hogwarts because he had found his home there as well. So I probably think I think Hagrid because like he was he was always he was always there he was always behind the kids a hundred percent and he would have done anything to help out like his his, his kids so Hagrid That's a really good answer <laughs> all right Nikki I'm still thinking <laughs> <laughs> should we skip you and come back yeah, yeah, let's all right Vicky. So did you say a teacher from Harry Potter or just a character? Just yeah. any character. So it's for me, it's always Hermione. I see so much of myself in Hermione. Like I was as a child, I was mothering people. Like my whole childhood. Um I was the one who doesn't want to break the rules, but yet I still I'm not gonna let my kids, my friends do things alone in case they get in trouble, they'll need me. Um, and I was a perfectionist in school. I was very studious. If I had to study extra, I would. So I really, um, watching her come of age, I didn't have a great childhood. And so watching Hermione come of age in some ways allowed me to have the childhood that I wished I would have had. And, and the, the way that her and the other characters empowered themselves to overcome the adversity that they were facing, like they couldn't depend on the adults in their life. So they had to take, they had to handle it themselves. And I really identify with Hermione in like a million different ways. I love that. Nikki, did you come up with one? I think, I don't know, because I definitely Hagrid was like one of my two that I was deciding between, but I think a lot of it is like, like not characters that you like the entire time, but ones you like at the end. So of course, like Professor Snape, because he's the one that I get to use as the defense for Slytherin all the time. But also like, it makes sense. He was so self-sacrificing his entire life. And um, that whole like do whatever has to be done. And sometimes I feel like that is my sister. I feel like I just like relate to that. Cause there's a lot of like pride that goes into how hardworking I am and how far I've come. But then sometimes also in reflection, it's like I had to give up a lot of me, my personal dreams um, as a teacher, my idea of a livable wage that I had to give up to be able to fight for others. And it's like, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's, especially in teaching, there's a lot of self-sacrificing and you don't notice it until you reflect. And I think that's a lot of Snape, like the dream position that he was um definitely like qualified for but he had to just keep getting stepped over over and over and over again and then he had to allow everybody to hate him so that he could be like the the shield for other people and sometimes i feel that way like in my family i'm the youngest of nine and so there's a lot of i will take the bread of that because you don't get it yet <laughs> like you just watch up you grow up watching other people make mistakes and you learn not to do it yourself but I just feel like Snape is that. He's just everybody's scapegoat and he's trampled over all the time. But the whole series, you think that he's the bad one and that he's somehow spared from trauma when really he's just as, has just a traumatic life of other people. So it kind of like reminds you to question everybody's background and not just those that seem to be the brave or seem to be the good and the justified or seem to be the wise. I don't know. He's a super powerful character. Yes. I remember when that book came out, everybody at the bookstore for the midnight, uh, you know, signing or picking it up. Yeah. 
you had to walk in and choose your sticker. Like Snape is evil or Snape is good. And I remember my best friend picked the evil and I picked the good. And then when I, re- I you know, spent two days just reading straight through. Yeah. And I was like, he is good. I knew it. He's <laughs> literally everywhere all of the time. Like, I know. And the kids spent so long trying to prove him wrong. And every single time he came out good. And it's like, really, in the end of it, he proved over and over and over again what kind of person he was and still right. So I'm like, it's just, and he stayed and he tried. Good. Ryan, do you have a favorite Harry Potter? It's Hermione. Mostly for the same reason as Vix. Like, literally, as a kid, I was the one that always went by the rules. I would get upset when I, when I, I was a kid, I would get upset when I didn't know the spelling words correctly. I wanted to succeed and be the one that actually has like straight A's and rule the world and all that. And it just took me a long, long time to get out of my shell and actually fight for what's right and all that stuff now. So for me, it would be Hermione. That's cute. What about you, Jessica? I've been mulling this over because there's so, like, I'm, there's so many good characters. Um, I would say Mrs. Weasley. And the reason why is because she not only fights for her family, like, ferociously, she adopted, I mean, sort of adopted Harry and would send him Christmas packages and would send him things and just cared for him like one of her own. And just that protective quality, making sure everybody's fed. I like how she takes care of everyone up until the very last moment. Um, And especially that line in the last book when she calls um, Beatrix a bitch. That was so good. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes. Yeah, I forgot about who she is. That's cool. (laughs) I really liked the idea in Harry Potter that you can choose your family, that mm-hmm. you're not necessarily stuck with your blood relatives, that you can pick people and surround yourself with people who you love and trust because that's what they do at Hogwarts. And right. that's what Harry got to do. So I really like that. You guys are making me want to just binge all of them again. <laughs> I've never seen a Harry Potter movie at all. Really? Um, and I was thinking about that when this was going on. Uh, and then, like, my boyfriend is not. Like, I played the Harry Potter Wizarding Unite game on my phone all of the time. And he's always like, what are you, Harry Pottering? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he accuses me of, li- and he was there when I bought my wand. And he always accuses me of living in, like, a little magic world. And I'm not going to lie, I have a box of spells under my bed. So, like, he knows that I'm super weird. <laughs> like, and then it- um, we did a trivia game that was all in the movies, and he's seen the movies, and I never have. And there was stuff that was, like, specific to the movies. So now I told him, I was like, you do realize that, like, we're going to need to have a movie marathon. Because I've literally never seen a single one, and I feel so left out. Some of them will irritate you, though, because they leave out large chunks of information. That is just the product of being a reader, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love me a good book, and I hate me a good movie. Yeah. I <laughs> book. A movie that went along. I'm sorry. Have you ever found a movie that went along with the book exactly? Oh, exactly. Yes. Um, Margarita. It is Russian. It is a Russian dystopian novel, but it is one of the best I've ever read, especially if you know, like, Pompous Pilate and the whole Jesus Christ trial story, because it's uh, based in, like, Russia after it becomes uh, an atheist country, like, technically. It's Mm -hmm. so good, and the the movie, I have it, it is actually like a two-part DVD because it does follow it word for word and scene for scene, which is crazy because one of the characters is a talking cat. Oh. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but in the movie, it's a guy dressed up in a cat suit, <laughs> just walking around being a cat while everything else actually looks realistic. You just have this guy in a cat suit. <laughs> like, wow. But yes, it is word for word. Oh, wow. See. Yeah. All right. Well, we really enjoyed talking with all of you Harry Potter fanatics. And you represented your houses really well. Apparently knows everything. Yes. And um, what can, where can people find you in case they like you and want to talk to you? Do you guys have Twitter? I do. Vicki, what's your Twitter handle? Because I'll Let me look. 
Judge, <laughs> remember her Twitter handle. Okay, we're gonna skip. We're gonna go to Jamie. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Miss T in Vegas. Okay, and I'll tag you, Nikki. Do you have a Twitter? I do, and I only follow. I pretty much never post, but it's also my fans. So it's not like me. Yes, her band is amazing too. Ooh. Well, mostly what? it's um, our band name is called the Dominiki. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, super. I don't want to call it, like man hating because we don't hate men. We just kill a lot of them. Like that's. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like if Thelma and Louise and Quentin Tarantino made music. Yeah, or made music. That is the music that I play. <laughs> All right, we'll tag it. That's Aren't cool. your band members other CCSD teachers too, Nikki? They are. Yeah, my bass player is a uh, kindergarten teacher, and my drummer is a music teacher. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and right. you're releasing an album too, right? Huh? And you've had you have an album album out too, right? Yeah, we released it a year ago now. Yeah. And Vicky, how can people follow you? So it's at Vix, V-I-X underscore Cridel, K-R-E-I-D-E-L. Okay. So we'll post that. And thank you guys for watching. Yes, thank you awesome. so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you.